You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. I invite you to take a seat and you can turn it in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. If you don't have uh, God's Word with you today, please put your hand up. Uh, one of our ushers will be more than excited to get you a copy of the Word of God that you can follow along in with us. Mark chapter 1. And as you turn there, uh, I want to uh, highlight a few more announcements upon our announcements. Uh, exciting day for us as a church, part of a uh, movement we're part of is called the Great Commission Collective. And there's another church launching today in uh, uh, Toronto North, Hope Church Toronto, Toronto North. So we can be excited about that together. Another gospel-believing, Bible-preaching, truth, uh, kingdom-advancing church. So we can be praying for Pastor Marvin and uh, his church, uh, and his family and his church. I know Marvin for almost 10 years now and seen him, God grow him in great ways. And so excited to be a part of uh, Marvin's life. And so we can pray for that. Uh, today, so that's a, it's good news for us. Also, another thing we want to do today is just highlight the beginning of a new ministry year uh, is our students. And so part of our church uh, is uh, most uh, clearly is students, and so we love our students. Sometimes churches see uh, students as add-ons. Uh, we don't see them as add-ons. They are part of the life of the church, both college students but also high school students. So if you're a high school student here, let us honor you by uh, embarrassing you right now, making you stand up. Can you stand up if you're between grades 6 and 12 this morning, please? Just stand up, and we just want to honor the fact that you're here today, and we love you as part of our church. First service is like a fifth of the congregation, so it's good. Uh, but also, don't stand, don't sit down, no, 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 don't sit down, don't sit down, because today, you're, you're lucky days, you don't have to listen to me preach today, you can go out with Pastor Andy and our faithful uh, student uh, leaders, and so you're going to go and be a part of uh, uh, getting to other students in the church, maybe you don't know yet, and be a part of what Andy's going to teach you this morning, so why don't you go out with him now, and students, the leaders at the back, and parents, don't worry, we will give them back 100%. Uh, as soon as church is over, you can meet them in the foyer. But this is a time for them just to go out and have a little student service. And uh, we're really thankful for Andy, too, and all these doing their student ministry. God has, God has brought us uh, some great momentum in our student ministry more than ever before. And so it's pretty cool to see what God is doing to the lives of students. Um, so let's be thankful for them. Yes, yes, yes. All right, Mark chapter 1. We are continuing our study on the life of Jesus the most influential person to ever walk on the planet. We're being reintroduced to him uh, or reacquainted with him, maybe introduced for the first time, but clear this whole series. We just want you to see Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, our Savior, our friend, our mentor. This is Jesus transformed millions of, li- of lives over his, uh, since he's come to earth and continues to be the one person that revolutionizes the world more than anyone else, Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to start a mini two-part series within this series called Vintage Jesus, uh, just looking at the basics of Jesus' ministry and learning uh, from our master what it truly takes to make a difference in this world. What does it truly take to make a difference in this world? Look no further than Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this as we start. How many of you want to make a difference with your life? How many of you don't just want to make a difference in this little life, but want to make a difference for all of eternity? Most of us. That's why we're here. That's why we are called by Jesus and we want to be a part of what he's doing. And so uh, this morning, we're just going to look at the life of Jesus in the ministry of Jesus 
and not just love him, but also learn from him. And we're going to understand this this morning. We understand the life of Jesus. Jesus' ministry is marked by his message and his mandate. And his message and his mandate are my mission in life. This morning, we're just going to look at verses 14 to 20. And before we get there, I want to remind you of where we've been. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 13 is Jesus' prep for ministry. It's sort of like his seminary. And so we see Jesus at the affirmation ceremony and baptism. We see God's voice upon him and the Holy Spirit with him. Then we see Jesus in the school of overcoming temptation of which he passed with flying colors. And upon graduation, he marched right down the graduation aisle right into public ministry. And so verse 14 is picking up six, year, six months sorry, after John started preaching. Now Jesus is officially launching into his ministry. And John, if you think John is a fantastic guy and had a great ministry, actually, he wasn't getting the thumbs up on Instagram and the likes on Facebook with his messages about Jesus and baptism. John finds himself at this point in the slammer. He's in jail. And so we're like, oh, no, what's going on with John? But don't worry, that's part of God's plan. Remember, uh, John was just a forerunner of Jesus. He was risen up to point people to Jesus. Now he is actually being pushed to the background, and Jesus Christ is taking the spotlight, and he's front row and center of attention where God always planned him to be. And so since his baptism, Jesus for the last six months hasn't been on a European vacation like some people do to go find themselves. That wasn't him. He jumped right into ministry. We learned from the book of John that he was in um, Judea ministering and preaching and cleansing the temple of God. How, how about that for jumping in the saddle? What's your first mission? I'm going to cleanse the temple of God. And so now we catch up with him in the northern part of Israel in, Jude, in uh, Galilee, and he is actually starting his ministry where no one expected he'd start his ministry, where the Messiah would come. They thought in Jerusalem, the center of Jewish culture and their education and their religion, but yet Jesus, we find, on the outskirts, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, probably highlighting the apostasy and the corruption of the Jewish religious system. And here we catch up with him in verse 14, and uh, listen to the word of God as I read, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. This is Mark pointing out for us. It's a new day. It's a new era. This is a new ministry that Jesus is now establishing. Listen to what it says in verse 14. And after John was arrested, as I just described, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and followed him. Really just a short text this morning because there's so much in it. You think, what's he going to get out of these few verses? There's a lot in these few verses. Uh, specifically the message and the mandate of Jesus Christ. And it's only two points today. Here's the first point. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. Uh, so you can follow along with what God is teaching us. This is classic Jesus in the scriptures. Number one is this. Jesus reveals his heart for everyone. Jesus is revealing for us his message, which reveals his heart for all. I want you to take notice of how Mark starts the ministry of Jesus. Remember Mark? 
Mark kind of bounces all over the place. He's getting to the things that matter. He's not big on details. Like This is the main point to get. Look where Mark starts Jesus in ministry. What's Jesus doing as Mark points out? says it right here. Jesus came into Galilee. What's he doing? What's he doing? He is proclaiming or he's preaching the gospel of God. Who is he preaching this to? He's preaching it to the Jews. In the synagogues and the towns, he is, make no doubt about it, he is preaching. Why is this revolutionary? It's not, but think about this. So many people come to understand Jesus as predominantly a miracle worker or a social justice advocate. Correct? Gentle Jesus, and yet, yes, he was both of those things, but yet Jesus' main goal, his forte in ministry, was not miracles or social justice. Those are just platforms he used to get him to the ultimate goal of preaching. Jesus was a preacher more than anything else. Plain and simple, but isn't it clear how we sometimes miss that? Jesus was a preacher. He was proclaiming. Not just coming in like, hey, got some good news for you. It's uh, better tell you some things you should listen up to. That's, that's not proclaiming. Proclaiming is, is a word that has a little more emotion than that. It's a word that means to cry out, to declare, to announce, to boldly and confidently share a message. And we're all proclaimers at one point. It's like, it's like the, the, come on, listen up. I have something to share with you. This is Jesus. Remember, again, we kind of mellow, kind of gentle, but he also had some passion behind him. He's proclaiming the same way, you know, if you come home from school and you got an A and your parents expected a B, you're proclaiming to them, look, look, I got an A. Or if you finally get engaged and no one thought you would ever get engaged, you're pretty proud of that, you proclaim, believe it or not, she's going to marry me or he's going to marry me. Or when you share the birth announcement, you're, you're excited, you're proclaiming, we're going to have a child or, or a parent when their little toddler's going to walk out in the street and you're like, car! That's proclaiming. Jesus is proclaiming, proclaiming. He's got a message. It's not just any message. Listen to what the message is. It's the gospel of God. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what it says here. It's the gospel of God. Six times in the New Testament it says... This, this term is, is used, it's the gospel of God. In other words, it's talking about this most excellent message that Jesus is delivering is not even ultimately from Jesus, it's from God. It might not be about God, but it's from God. In other words, God's the originator and the orchestrator of the good news, salvation. Salvation is going to be found in one person, Jesus Christ. Where'd that come from? It came from God. His plan, his purpose, his gift to the whole world. Notice his gift wasn't given in a nice little wrapped box with a bow like we think. His gift was given to us on a cross, on a Roman cross, uh, for your sins and mine. But don't miss this. It's of God. Here's the big idea of Jesus' sermon. This is what he's saying. Again, remember Mark, boiling it all down. I can assure you that Jesus preached more than one sentence. But this is the big idea. Here's this message. Everything comes back down to this in Jesus' message. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So important, I'm going to say it again. Listen to it. I'm going to break it down for you. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the core of what Jesus was preaching and proclaiming. Look what he says. 
The time is fulfilled. When you see the word time, there's two types of time in the Bible. This isn't like a time as in like, God told me to set my alarm clock. Jesus is saying, and now's the time. It's 1 a.m. And now's the time where I'm supposed to be doing this. It's not a specific time. It's more of a season of time. Sort of like a, my, think back on my time in college. And so this is a, the time, the season of time that the whole world has been groaning for, all the prophets have been pointing to for years now. They've been saying, hey, there's going to be a time coming when the Son of God, the Messiah, will walk on earth. We've been talking about this time even how many years later because of the significance of, oh, the time, the greatest time in human history when Jesus actually walked on this planet. The time, the time that a new era was going to begin in relating to God through his son Jesus. This is the time, and it's the fullness of time. In other words, it's the completeness of time. This is the time. Some commentators think the fulfillment of time is talking about a super fullness of time. You know, like when a woman's pregnant, and she's two or three weeks overdue, and you're like, hey, when's the baby coming? And she's like, it's time. This is what he's talking about. The whole world has been groaning and longing for the time. It's overdue the time that Jesus was going to come. And now it's here. Jesus is saying that time has come and I'm the time. I'm here. Look what he says next. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Notice this. John came the first part of this preaching in light of the coming of Jesus. Jesus now is preaching in light of the coming of God's kingdom. See what it says? The time is fulfilled. I am here. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's the kingdom of God? The Jews thought the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to bring them liberation and kind of world power, and they were going to be above all their enemies. God has something way better in mind. He's bringing us the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is bringing us. The kingdom of God, you have to understand, comes in a three-dimensional mindset. The kingdom of God, first and foremost, is a spiritual realm. The reality that God's eternal, sovereign rule and dominion and authority is going to reign where? Where is this kingdom? In our hearts, in people's hearts. Then it becomes a millennial reality. In other words, Revelation 20 tells us that God's kingdom is going to be set up here on earth after Jesus comes back for a thousand years of a time of peace where God is going to perfectly rule before he ultimately comes back and sets up his eternal kingdom as it is on heaven here on earth. We're actually not going to be going to heaven. He's bringing heaven down here and be making everything brand new. And so there's the three kingdoms, the spiritual, the millennial, and the eternal. And Jesus is saying, no matter how you look at the kingdom, I want you to notice this, the kingdom of God is at hand. What do he means by at hand? It means within arm's reach. Why is it within arm's reach? Because he's, look, saying, he's saying this, you're looking at the kingdom of God. I am the kingdom of God where I am. There the kingdom of God is. And now I have come to establish all three aspects of God's kingdom. And so we see so clearly Jesus' message is important for us to sit and take note of. It's the king reminding us that he has come to take his rightful place on the throne starting in our hearts. And then look at his message next. Two words that are so important in understanding the truth of Jesus. Repent and believe. Repent and believe in the gospel. Don't hear them often in church. 
these two words, repent and believe, and yet we have to understand this. They come out of Jesus' mouth. We should be talking about them in church, don't you think? And so to repent and believe, this is the same sermon John had in chapter 1. John and Jesus are at the same page. Jesus wasn't, wasn't stealing John's sermon notes. They both came from the same source, the divine source of God. Remember, it's of God. And so if we're going to fully understand the rule in the kingdom of God, it starts with this word, repent. It starts with repenting. John said it. Jesus says it. We unpacked last week what it means. It means that when I see the truth of Jesus and the holiness of God, I become undone in my sin and decide that I am going to be done with my sin. It's the first part of repentance. Let me add to that today. The second part of repentance is this, is that not only am I going to be undone and done with my sin, I'm going to put my allegiance and my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. Repentance involves allegiance. In other words, it's saying, you know what, I've been playing so far for team self and team Satan. Now I'm going to take that shirt off and I'm going to put on Jesus' jersey and now I'm going to play for team Jesus from this point forward. That's what repentance is. It's I'm done with the old. I've got a whole new allegiance. It's Jesus Christ. We're called to repent. You're called to repent. I'm called to repent. This is the only way to God through Jesus. But it also says this. It says to believe. Repent and believe. And the Bible says believe, it's not just an, an I agree with statement. Like, do you believe? Oh, yeah, I believe. I think that's true. It's not that. Believe is an action word. Believe is a, I see, I understand, and now I'm going to act in a way that corresponds with what I believe. For example, when a young man comes to believe that this girl, this woman is going to be his wife, like, he acts upon that. Enough talking about dating. He's going to find a way to get a ring. He's going to get on his knees and propose to this, this woman to get a ring on her finger and say, I'm going to commit my whole life to you. In the same way, when we believe, we get on our knees before God. We find a way to get on our knees before God and say, God, I am a sinner. I am not worthy of any love and affection of you, and yet I, 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 I want to repent of my sin. I want to come to you, and I'm going to choose to commit my life to you from this time forward. That's what it means to believe. I know I said it's the same message as John. Some of you who are astute and really paid attention last week are like, but it's sort of the same, but it's not. Remember, John said, repent and what? Be baptized. And Jesus now says, repent and believe. So what's up with that? Is it repent and believe or repent and be baptized? Well, commentators say it's one and the same. If you believe, you're going to follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. If you're getting baptized, it's because you believe. So it's all three together. You repent, you believe, you be baptized. It's like three strands of the same cord. Faith giving you... To you by God, this is your response to Jesus. When you're saved, you repent, you believe, and you're baptized. Baptism not being part of your salvation, but a fruit of your salvation. This is the way God's designed it. This is the message of Jesus throughout the whole New Testament. This is the one he wants us to get more than any other one because they all boil down to this. He wants us to repent and believe. I get it. The word repent makes us uncomfortable even in church, right? Like, how come you're the only pastor that talks about repentance? I have no idea. But somehow in our culture, we've come to understand we can come to Jesus and skip the repentance. That's hard. That's awkward. That means that I have to, like, admit that I'm wrong and I have to come a little undone and 
Who wants that? And so we buy into another gospel that actually probably doesn't lead us to God. It leads us more into ourselves. And yet this is the true gospel. Repent and believe. Let me help you understand what some other churches teach you about the gospel, which is a total misunderstanding of the gospel. There's some false views of what Jesus came to do rather than give us this message. Here's some of them just to help you understand clearly what the full significance of this. Some false assertions about Jesus or beliefs about Jesus and salvation go something like this. Jesus here is, Jesus is here to add to your life. You ever heard that one preached? Jesus is here to add to your life, and if you take Jesus, all it means is that you're going to be a better husband, and you're going to have more effectiveness in parenting your kids. You're going to have deeper friendships, and you're going to be blessed, and life's going to be uh, more, you're going to reach your full potential, and it's going to be amazing. And is that why Jesus came ultimately? Maybe some of those things happen as a result of Jesus changing us, but is that why Jesus came, just to make our lives better? It says we're to repent and believe. Yes, he did come to add to our life, but maybe not in all the ways you think he should or he would. Here's another message you hear in church that actually leads you away from the truth of Jesus. How about this one? Jesus' priority is my happiness. Jesus' priority is my happiness. And of course he loves me. He's just so loving. And if he loves me, then he's going to be the one that stands in front of me. And he's going to keep all the bad vibes bouncing off of me. And all the hardships are going to go around me. And it's just going to be an easy, comfy, cozy life. And it's just going to be happy faces and joyful places. How does that square with real life? This is how some people believe. That's why Jesus came. Try this on for size. Jesus does care about your happiness, but he knows that your ultimate happiness comes through your holiness. And so when you're holy, you're happy. And when you're happy, you're holy. He's got something better than your superficial happiness at heart. How about this one? How about this one? Jesus loves me blindly. This idea that Jesus just loves, and it doesn't matter if I care about sin, or if I keep on sinning, he just blankly loves the world. And so if I see that, I can accept that as good. I can go on sinning, I can go on sleeping around, or sloughing my way through life, or swindling my way through business deals, and it's okay, God just loves me, just as I am. Partial truth to that statement, God does love you just the way that you are, but here's the rest of it, but he loves you far too much to leave you there in your sin and in your guilt and in your shame. He has something better for you than that. He desires you to repent and believe. Here's what it means when I repent and believe. It means that Jesus is gonna give me a whole new lease on life. And that's ultimately why he came. Jesus desires to give you a whole new lease on life. This is what it means to repent and believe. It means that I want to be done with the old and in with the new. I want to be over my sin and in with righteousness. Jesus came ultimately to recreate the image of God in us that's been ravaged by the sinfulness both in us and around us. Sin is destroying lives like Hurricane Dorian destroyed the Bahamas. The consequences of that are devastating and Jesus came, Jesus came to rebuild you and recreate you to the image of, of his, 
of, of himself, God, the image of his son, to, to reshape you and remold your life that you now see like him, you think like him, and you start even looking like him in character quality. This is ultimately why Jesus came, to give your life a complete 180-degree turn. It's not like, oh, I see Jesus and keep going. It's like, wow, I found Jesus. Now I'm going to turn around and I'm going to have a whole new way to think about and do life. Where does that start? It starts with when you repent and believe. This is where the overhaul starts, where the good things of God start coming and flooding into your life. You know what this insinuates? It doesn't insinuate, it simply says. You know what salvation is? Salvation is a changed life. Salvation is simply a changed life. If you've been saved, you've been changed. If you have Jesus and nothing's changed in your life, let me hopefully not shock you today, but you don't have Jesus. Sink in, let that sink in. Because when we repent, the Holy Spirit moves in and starts changing us. If you've been saved, you know you've been saved, and everybody else does too, amen? A little quieter than this morning. You can feel free to talk out loud and nod and interact a little bit. It gets me going. Even though I don't need it, it helps me. And this change starts with repentance. Let me ask you this. Has Jesus changed your life? No, has he really changed your life? Beyond what you think. How you see the world, how you act, how you interact with the world. Has Jesus changed your life? If Jesus is truly your savior, he's changed your life. If he hasn't, there's some good time to stop and be like, what is going on in my heart? I need to repent. I need to repent. Get this, though, as we understand this one-sentence sermon of Jesus, it's not just that he came to give us a new lease on life. Understand this, Jesus' plan is for me to share this message. If this is the most crucial message that Jesus shared, this is also the most crucial message that we share in our lives with those around us that need to know Jesus. To be changed by Jesus means that I now walk with the message of Jesus always on the forefront of my mind and the, on the tip of my tongue. What's the message we share? It's this one. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable too. Repent and believe. Oh, I prefer to share it one of the other ways, one of the myths you said. And, and that's more comfortable for me and the other person. Yeah, yeah it is. But that, again, that leads them further away from Jesus and more into themselves. The message of Jesus isn't uncomfortable. It leads us to life. This, is, this, this message is the heartbeat of believers. This message is, to be honest, why our church exists. Repent and believe, call people to Jesus Christ. This message is, picture this on a plate with me, a plate, you go to a restaurant, and, and what's the center of that plate? It's the meat of the plate, it's the meat of the center, right? Everything else just garnishes, you've got a little potatoes, a little bit of veggies, sorry if you're vegetarian, but the, the, the main part is the meat. Everything else just accentuates the meat. The message, this message is the meat of our lives, our, our church, and, and understand this, Repent and believe for a life change is proclaiming the truth of Jesus and it's God's ordained way to reach souls. How do we reach souls? By preaching and proclaiming the truth. 
by preaching and proclaiming the truth. What about social justice advocacy? Yeah, absolutely important, but here's the reality. You can have social justice advocacy, you miss the truth, and you miss out on building the kingdom of God for now and for eternity. What about friendship evangelism? We all like friendship evangelism. Here's the, here's the issue with friendship evangelism. We're heavy on the friendship and light on the evangelism. And so we never get to the evangelism part. Well, if they only like me a little bit more, then they'll like my Jesus, and I gotta get to know them more before I get to the really hard message. A lot of times friendship evangelism doesn't end up with any evangelism at all. We think we're doing really good, but we're not actually being, sharing the same truth Jesus shared. What about loving people? Absolutely we love people. Absolutely. But get this, we can feed them and we can finance them for a lifetime, but if we don't give them Jesus, we just have healthy, well-fed people that end up missing out on eternity because of our lack of sharing. So then what will we accomplish? We need them comfortable for an extra 50, 60 years, but what about the rest, eternity? This message is so, so important. Yes, we make inroads in the community. Absolutely, we, we want to love people and we don't want to make people our project. That's not it, that's not it. But we also want to make sure that we preach the same message Jesus preached we preach the gospel. I know I say that word, it can mean a lot of things. Well, what's the gospel? Here's the gospel in a few sentences. Here's the gospel in a few, se- in a few words, actually. It's simply this. this is what Jesus is really saying. Repent and believe what? Believe this, that, that creation, God created, redemption, I sinned, I need a savior, salvation. Jesus is the only one that can do that. And glorification, one day we're going to spend eternity with Jesus forever. It's that simple. That's what preaching is. And get this, God hasn't just called me to be a preacher. He's called all believers to be a preacher. So can I ask him, when was the last time you preached? No, Really? When is the last time you preached the gospel? Maybe not with a microphone on your ear, but actually shared the good news of the Jesus, the gospel, and called somebody to faith and repentance. Because let's be honest, that's what our lives are to be about. Even long after I take this pack off and this headset off, this is my calling, preacher or not, to be a preacher. It's your calling too. You want to make a difference in the world? First of all, you start you buying into the message. And then you're proclaiming the message. That's point number one. Here's point number two. Jesus' mandate is for every believer. Jesus' mandate is for every believer. What's Jesus' mandate? It's this, to be a disciple who makes disciples. Verse 16 to 20 shows us clearly Jesus' mandate. If this is the message he preached, this is the, the, what his mandate was for those who decided to follow. And so we see here starting off that Jesus was walking along the seashore. I guarantee you he wasn't collecting seashells. But he's intentionally on mission to call people to himself. And so he's walking along the seashore, selling seashells, not... He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He stumbles across a couple of fishing buddies who happen to be brothers. Let's think about this. Does Jesus stumble upon anything in this life? Or is, or is he like calculated and determined in everything he does? Which one is it? Come on, give me a vote. Is it stumble or is, is he random or is he calculated? 
Absolutely. So this isn't a random thing. It's not like there's these two guys working in their driveway. Some random guy walks along and says, hey, why don't you work for me? Sure, I'll leave my house and family behind. Let's go do that. That's ridiculous, right? Seems like that's what Jesus is doing, but it's not what Jesus is doing at all. He knew exactly where he was and who he was talking to. These two guys, uh, Andrew and Simon, uh, Andrew was actually a disciple of John's. So he'd been really close to Jesus. He was probably baptized by John as John's disciple, being set apart for God. And so as he heard John preaching about Jesus, he's sort of like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I want to know that guy more than I want to know you. By this time, Jesus' name is out there. He's got some public face to him. And so they see him coming. And of course, Simon, who's also named Peter, is Andrew's brother. So Andrew's been telling Simon about this Jesus, and they see him walk along, like, there he is right there. So they're getting their nets ready to go fishing, and Jesus says, hey, fellas, why don't you, like, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they do ask, what does that mean? They're just like, yeah, absolutely, this is the Messiah. I'll give up everything for the Messiah. Let's go. Just like that, gave it all up. Jesus walks a little further on the beach, and again, remember, calculated, comes across two more fisher fellows, we'll call them, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who are in the boat mending their nets. Now, these guys are not the average fishermen. They're probably like the, the brawler fishermen. For They were later, later come, have become known as the sons of thunder. So these big, bulky fishermen who actually were pretty good at fishing. They had their own business. So their father's business was Zebedee and Sons Fishing Co. is where they worked. They had some stuff going on. They were making some money. They had some employees. So they're in their boats. They're getting ready to go. Probably the boat is actually taking off from the shore at this point. And Jesus says, hey, fellas, why don't you come too? Again, a bit of a bigger deal. They got a business to run. They got employees to pay. They got a father to please. They, they jump out of the boat. They're like, absolutely, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. Like, I'm in, whatever it takes. I want to follow you. There's no one else I'd rather follow. Nothing else I'd rather do than follow you. That doesn't seem like a big deal to you. Think about leaving your life and your family and your business and everything you know behind to follow Jesus. Think about it. Again, back in Jesus' day, you know, we raise our kids to kick him out of the nest at 18. So you're thinking, oh, that's okay. I left my father's house. No big deal. But back in Jesus' day, this was a big deal. The family name was at stake. For, for these boys to jump up and leave and abandon their dad, like, man, family name, dishonor. They actually could have some punishment coming towards them. This was, this was the, they were willing to give it all up. We learned that Peter had a house in town and John was well known to the high priest. So these guys had lives going on and probably had some influence and affluence, not like fishermen maybe today. Before we go further, it's important to note that this is these four first followers of Jesus were actually three of them became Jesus' closest friends. They're in his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. I want you to notice this. Who are the ones that Jesus called to be in his inner circle? Fishermen. Hey, I'm going to find some people to do something with uh, follow me and be my disciples, I guarantee it's not going to be in the fishermen or the construction industry. I'm going to universities and I'm going to places where people have some get up and go. Look who Jesus called. They called fishermen simple, uneducated, regular people, not upper class or uber spiritual. They're uneducated, unheralded, unspectacular disciples. You know what's amazing about that is they're just like us. They're just like us. That's who Jesus calls. And quite honestly, that's who Jesus is calling today in this room. Regular, average people to follow suit and become his disciples. Let me tell you what a disciple is. It's not a groupie. 
It's somebody who willfully and eagerly gives up what they have to go and sit and learn under a tutor or a mentor or a teacher to learn their way of life and their philosophy. This is someone who's willing to, 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 to spend their lives learning from another. This is what Jesus is not just calling fishermen to today. He's calling us to today. He's calling you to today and me to today. It's a pretty important call. You get a lot of calls on the phone. You get telemarketers. You get friends. This is the call that I encourage you all to pick up and listen to right now. The life-changing call. Listen to some of the things of a disciple. Notice the call of a disciple. There's not much in this text, but there's so much to pull from this text. I first want to highlight for you the call of a disciple. This is what a disciple really is. All these ideas of disciple. This is what a disciple really is. This is what a follower of Jesus Christ really is. First of all, I want you to notice this. Notice the call of a disciple. Disciples are called out. They're chosen. God pursues them. They don't pursue God. These guys are doing their thing. They're living life. And all of a sudden, God shows up at their front door and says, Hey, you, I want you for my team. Why would he choose fishermen? Why would he choose us? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that we're all sinners. We've sinned so much that we can't even begin to differentiate in our minds whether there's a God or not. None of us actually seek God. In fact, the Bible tells us that morally, we're as, we're as smelly as fish compared to a holy God. And here's the baffling part. God still chooses us to be his disciples. How does he do that? Not maybe an audible voice like he did for the disciples here, but he, by, by his Holy Spirit through the word of God. Anyone here who's saved, you can remember the time that God pointed his finger at you and he said, you are going to be mine. Can you remember it? It wasn't, it wasn't because you were smart and had life figured out now and realized it's Jesus. It's not because you have everything together and you got it all figured out. It's because God decided in his sovereign grace to call you. That's a miracle of all miracles that we ought to rejoice in today. Disciples are called out. I want to remind you that it's not the all-togethers, the well-to-dos, and the got-it-all-figured-out types. If that's you today, you're probably going to miss Jesus. You know why? Because you won't realize you even need him in the first place. Church is supposed to be a hospital for the spiritually needy, not a country club for the hoity-toity spiritual uppities. He's calling us today. As we are. Notice he doesn't call them after they get their life's lives figured out. They don't say, let me take care of some things. I've got to get some things cleaned up. When you go fishing, do you clean the fish before you catch them? Hopefully you don't have to think about that. You're like, wait a minute, do you? <laughs> Clearly you don't. It's the same with Jesus. He's not, he's not asking you to do anything except for this, except for to, 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 to realize that he's there in front of you. He's calling you by name. Even today he's calling you by name. I remember the exact moment he called me by name, and it was undeniable. He's pressing his little finger into my chest, into my spirit, and he's like, you're the one I want. And I was like, really, me? Are you sure, me? This guy's better than I am, and she's way, way more sophisticated. Like, I don't think it's me. And he's like, it's you. It's, it's unmistakable. It's you. Maybe even today you've never responded to the call of Jesus, and he's got his finger pressing into your soul right now saying, it's you. I want you. I want you. Maybe you have followed Jesus, but you've wandered for a long time now, and you've got all the religious stuff down, but you've, you've forgotten what it is to be called out. Maybe he's calling you again. He's putting his finger on your soul. He's saying, come back. I want you. I want you. I want you. It's not even that difficult. Here's this call. Here's this call. It's 
that were centered out. Here's the next thing. It's a clear invitation. Notice the call of a disciple here, the invitation. It's not vague or left to their imagination. It's simple. Look at what it says in verse 17. Here's the call. Follow me. Follow me. Notice this. The call of Jesus is not to a theological set of uh, principles. It's not to sacraments. It's not to ethics. What's the call to? Follow. What is it? Follow, follow. It's to a person. It's to himself. Unlike the rabbis, whose students would go and seek out the rabbi, I want to learn under you. Jesus comes and says, I want, I want you to learn under me. He initiates the invitation. Unlike rabbis who are encouraging uh, the, the people to come and study the law, Jesus is saying, it's not about the law, it's about me, it's a person. What Jesus wants from us more than anything else is simply to encounter himself, the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. Follow me, what he's saying is come to me and learn from me and Rub shoulders with me and let my heart become your heart. Let my life rub off on your life as you live life. See my face, hear my voice, feel my embrace. This is what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to experience the truth. And don't forget this, brothers and sisters. The truth is not a set of principles or presuppositions. The truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus says, come follow me. I think some of us have forgotten this over our Christian lives. And we've studied theology so much, we've become Bible heads. And somehow in our study of theology, we're not actually anywhere near Jesus anymore. We're more like the Pharisees than Jesus Christ. Jesus, come after me, come be with me more than anything else. If our pursuit of Jesus leads to anything more than his love in our minds and hearts, then we've missed out on really the call of Jesus. If you become more spiritual without becoming more in love with Christ and seeing more of Christ's love in you, then you've missed the whole call of Jesus. I think he's calling us back to come and follow me. Isn't it true sometimes in our Christian lives we follow me, but then I'm telling others that they need to follow me because I have it right and you have it wrong? Don't mistake this. The call of a disciple is to a person. It's to Jesus Christ above all else. That we would become more like Jesus. Notice this also. Notice this also. It's a clear invitation. But it's also this. It's also a committed response. Notice these disciples. There was no thinking about it or let me go pray about this. Or God asked my mom. She knows a lot about this stuff. and see what she thinks. It's I see Jesus. I hear his voice. It's a, let's go. I leave it all behind. I'm, I'm immediately going. I surrender all. And Jesus gave me his whole life. Well, why would I not choose to give him my whole life in return? Like, look at the disciples. They're leaving their nets behind. They're leaving their families behind. Their business behind. Their homes behind. It's like, I will follow anything. I, once I see Jesus, nothing else matters anymore. If I have Jesus, I have everything. If I miss Jesus, I have nothing. Sounds pretty radical, doesn't it? Well, I thought you just had to ask Jesus into your heart. And everything's normal. Listen to what Luke tells us about this whole call of Jesus to abandon it all for the sake of Jesus. Luke 14, listen to this. So therefore, if any of you who does not renounce all that he has or she has, you cannot be my disciple. Hear that? 
If any of you who does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, you can't have a foot in both worlds, brothers and sisters. It's, it's not like that. You can't be like, yeah, I'm going to have my foot planted in this world. I'm going to have Jesus too. Jesus is like, that's not a disciple. A disciple is I'm giving up everything to follow Jesus. And you're like, but that's a big cost. That's why so many people don't follow Jesus. That's why they don't like the word repent and discipleship. And that's why they're not mentioned in church. But think of the cost. I can't give up that cost. Think, think of the cost of not giving that up. Your soul's on the line. Your eternity's on the line. Think about this. You might give up a lot, but think of what you get when you choose to follow the call of Jesus. His presence, his promises, his power, his person. Compared to that, nothing else matters. I will give it up all for Jesus. That is the call of discipleship. It may not be easier, but it's eternally better. It may not be simple, but it's sensational when you give your life to Jesus Christ. Here's the last one we see here. It's not really explicitly in the text, but it's obvious from the reactions here. We consider Jesus of highest value. We consider Jesus of highest value, like the merchant in Matthew 13. He's looking for the pearl, finds the biggest pearl he can find. What does he do? He goes and sells all that he has just to have that pearl because that pearl is priceless. There's a lot of things we can purchase in this life. There's a lot of things we'll come across in this life. There's only one person that is priceless in this life, and that is Jesus Christ. We have Jesus. We have it all. Jesus becomes our ultimate treasure. All of our dreams behind us, all of our, our desires behind us, all of our, all of our ambitions behind us, we now focus on Jesus Christ. This is a disciple of Jesus. That's what it is to be a disciple. Fortunately, in the scriptures, as somehow we've come to teach ourselves, there's no two levels of followers of Jesus. There's not like, well, I'm just a believer over here and I'm doing my thing and I believe and as long as I'm close enough, I'm going to be a part of Jesus, I'm going to get to heaven. There's not like these radical disciples over here and those are the crazies, those are the pastors and the missionaries and those who are the spiritual rollers. You know, I'm content being a believer, but I'm never going to be a disciple. Here's the reality, brothers and sisters. There is only one way to follow Christ, it's to be his disciple. All in. How could I not? And he so willingly gave his life for me on the cross. Showed his ultimate commitment. How can I not give him my ultimate commitment in return? This is the call of Jesus. Are you, let me ask you this, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ today? Hundreds of fans out there. Few followers. Jesus were to stand here today and say, hey, I want you to follow me. Are you ready to abandon it all for the sake of the call, as the song says? Can I just be real with you? If you're not following Jesus, you're following yourself, you're following the enemy, you're going to miss out on a lot, not just in this life, you're also going to miss out on eternity. That's the greater cost than giving it all to follow Jesus. The call of a disciple. Heart check. Am I a disciple of Jesus today? Am I a disciple of Jesus Quickly, let's cover one more thing here as we look at this text. Notice not just the call of a disciple, notice the mandate of a disciple. Look what he says, follow me. Look what he says next, and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. It's not just a reality of now I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
He's also going to teach us a whole new set of skills as far as living our life and that our mission becomes his mission. And all of a sudden these disciples now, they're, they're not about fishing. They've invested their life in fishing. They're not going to be about fishing anymore. They're going to be about, about God's stuff and about God's kingdom. It's going to be not just about building my kingdom anymore, which some of us are so good at. It's going to be about building God's kingdom, which is the most important kingdom to build. It's, it's saying, God, I'm now going to be if I'm going to be your disciple, your life is going to rub off on me. My mission is also going to be your mission to make disciples. No longer is my life going to be about my building my nice little comfy, cozy family and my nice little comfy, cozy church, becoming the all-Canadian little family, and as long as everything's all together, that's not it anymore. I've got something more important than that. My, my mission is to now make disciples, to become fishers of men. Become fishers of men. It's interesting to thought about this, fishing for fish and fishing for men. I'm like, what's that, that analogy? Like, what a terrible analogy by Jesus. Like, do they have anything in common? That's what my first thought was, to be honest, because I'm not a fisherman. Last thing I want to do is spend an hour in a boat dangling a line in the water. It's not going to catch anything, which is generally what I do. The more I thought about it, there's a lot of parallels between fishing and fishing for men. Ever known a passionate fisherman? Like, I'm talking about a really passionate fisherman, not just someone who fishes on Saturday mornings, but someone who, like, loves fishing. Ever known a passionate fisherman? Anyone? Like two of you. So it tells you what fishing's like. You all think it's boring like me. Nice. A couple passionate fishermen I know. Man, those guys, those guys are dedicated to fishing. A good day is a good day fishing whether they catch anything or not. And those guys, they know their rods. They know their reels. They know their bait. They know the types of fish. They know where to catch them and how to catch them and what season to catch them. Whether it's hot or warm or deep or wah. Those guys are all about fishing. Even in regards to they catch anything. For fishermen, a good day fishing is a good day on the lake, whether anything comes out of the lake or not. Here's the parallels. That's the kind of passion Jesus wants us to have for people. We're to be called fishers of men. We're to, to be ready to fish for men at any time. We need to have our, you know, we have all our gear down. We need to know what, what fish we're catching and what they think about, what they talk about, where we're going to catch them. And we need to make our lifelong goal now to be fishers of men. To be fishers of men. This is a disciple of Jesus Christ. What's a fisher of men? It's three things. It's one who's intentional. I tell you this, no one ever stumbled upon fishing one day. I definitely never woke up one day and said, oh, I'm going to go throughout my day and found myself at a lake fishing. That just doesn't happen to me because I don't have fishing rods in my car. And the last thing I think of was stopping at a lake. It's an intentional. When someone's going fishing, they get up early in the morning, they pack their lunch, they find their bait, they get to their spot, they get out there early, they're ready to go. And, and that ought to be us with fishing for people. Every day we wake up, we ought to be thinking today is a good day to go fishing. And get all tackled up with the word of God. I'm going to get prayered up. And I'm going to, I'm going to be praying about who I'm going to come contact with. And I'm going, to, I'm going to be thinking about everyone I come in contact with. About how can I help them see Jesus and understand the message of repent and believe. It's intentional. You don't intentionally go fishing for men. Each and every day I guarantee you haven't shared the message of Jesus in a long, long, long time. It's intentional. Here's another thing it is. It's faithful. It's faithful. Ultimately, at the end of the day, can a fisherman make a fish jump on his line? I know good fishermen who've gotten skunked. Do you? How is fishing today, Mr. Fisher Guy? All day, caught nothing. Why? Because you can't make a fish jump on your line. 
In the same way, our call is to be faithful. We can't make anyone accept the message of Jesus. Even today, I'm casting my nets wide. I'm throwing them out there. I'm praying, God, would you make this stick with somebody who doesn't know you or who needs to be drawn close to you? I'm, I'm throwing it out there, but ultimately, I can't make anything happen. So what do I do? I get up the next morning. I start preparing for next Sunday, and I preach on. I preach on. Same thing with you. You preach on. You keep sharing Jesus. You trust that one day there's going to be a fish on the line, and you're going to give all credit and glory to God because you know you didn't do it. But in the meantime, you focus on being faithful over fruitful. Because one day, just like I am once in a while, you get surprised. You're like, I think it's a fish. Usually it's a piece of a stick. And you get it to the water. Like, it is a fish. I can't believe it. Even bad fishermen catch fish once in a while. I got pictures to prove it. Get the point? It's faithfulness. Here's the last thing it is. It's meaningful. It's meaningful. Even if you don't find fishing meaningful, fishing for men is meaningful. You can invest yourself in a lot of things this coming, this coming day, this coming week. You can have all your hobbies, all your things you love to do, all the sports you like to watch, all the gardening you like to do, whatever, all the fishing you like to do. But guess what? This is the most meaningful activity you could ever be a part of is fishing for men. Of sharing the gospel, of seeing, of seeing you know, people being changed forever. You catch a fish, what happens? You fillet it, you eat it, you go on, nothing happens. Get this, you catch one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ by his grace, and that life is changed forever, and, and you have joy like you've never known before. If you've never yet experienced seeing someone come to know Jesus Christ, I'm praying this is the year you do. That you'll be a disciple who makes a disciple this year. There's nothing like it in the whole universe. I've told you this before, seeing my kids being born, that's a miracle of all miracles. You're like, well, I can't believe that just happened. A kid came out of my wife. Awesome. Inspiring. You know, what is equally inspiring is sitting before somebody and you're sharing the gospel and you're seeing the lights go on in their eyes. The dead eyes become alive. You're seeing the ears being opened to the truth of Jesus. You're seeing a heart that's beginning to understand. And all of a sudden you're seeing a dead soul become alive. There's nothing like it in the universe. And every disciple of Jesus ought to have that experience. I don't want to hog that to myself. I want you guys to have it too. This is why you exist as a disciple of Jesus to make disciples. This is why we exist as a church to make disciples. If we're just coming in here each week and we're just happy to high-five our friends and have a couple songs and a nice little inspiring message and go home, guess what? We missed it. We're actually not being disciples of Jesus. We're being fans of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. It's the last thing I want. It's the last thing you want. You guys all put up your hands beginning. Who wants to make a difference with your life? This is what it is to make a difference with your life. To, to grab onto Jesus' message, to, to follow his call, to f follow him, and to make disciples, to be fishers of men. Notice this. Jesus accomplished so much. And how many years was Jesus in ministry? How many years? Three years. Everything Jesus did was encompassed in this little box of three years. I've been going at it for eight years in this church. All that Jesus did was in three years. Think of the impact. Think of the influence Jesus had. We can have that too when we grab onto his message and his mandate. Where do you start this year? I encourage you and challenge you to this. This year, start with this. I'm going to pray for one person every single day that I know that God lays on my heart that one person within my life will come to know Jesus Christ. Maybe it's my mom. Maybe it's my cousin or my uncle or my coworker, my neighbor, my friend. I'm going to pray diligently and ask God, God, show me one person that I can target today with my fishing line, and I'm going to pray, and we'll see what God does at the end of the year. I'm going to pray that we all have one person and that our church will double in size in the next two years because God is being faithful to answer the prayers of his people and to see his people going out to be fishers of men. Wouldn't that be awesome? 
We all shared next year, this time, the experience we had in leading someone to Christ. Not because we were great, because we just kept casting that fishing line, casting that fishing line, praying hard. And one day, lo and behold, one day, there was a fish on the end. This is ministry 101. Preaching, following, being on Jesus' mission. Want to be impacted by the life of Jesus? Digest these words right here, right now. And determine I'm going to make my life align with Jesus. And see what he's going to do. Let me pray. Father, again, I pray this at the end of this sermon. Where there is unbelief in this room, God, would you give belief? Would you save even one soul in here today? that maybe he's been a fan of you for a long time but never been a follower. God, would you do that in your mercy and grace? God, for those that are in despair today, would they see the hope of Jesus? You have a better life for them following Jesus. Might not be easier, might not be simpler, but it's better in Jesus. God, would you draw people to yourself and give them hope today? Father, for those that have wandered off into religion and have strayed far from following you, oh, Father, would you bring them back? Would you knock them off their high horse, their religious high horse? And, and God, would you bring them humbly to you, God? And would you help them see that all I need is to be close to Jesus Christ? I just want to be a follower of Jesus, to have his life rub off on my life. God, would that be the case today? Would you grow us in love for you and love for others? And God, I pray for those that are actively living and engaging as disciples of Jesus. God, would you protect us? Would you give us courage? Would you give us grace? Would you give us faithfulness and fruitfulness, God, for the glory of your son, I pray. Ultimately, Father, may this message not land on one set of deaf ears, not one hard heart, but instead draw us to be closer followers of Jesus in your holy name. Amen.